Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. Real issues, real talk for real people. On 880 The Biz. Folks, you've been listening to Let's Talk About it on 880 The Biz and Let's Talk About It.info. So if you live in Miami, you will see one thing and you'll notice one thing that sometimes the water gets so high that it scares the ish out of you completely. And it can really mess up your car. And there's people that are paddle boating in Miami Beach on the street sometimes. So there's this thing called the urban development boundary, right? And because and, the other thing you'll notice about Miami, especially when you fly over, is you'll see swamp, 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 swamp. And then all of a sudden you'll see like a Lowe's. And I feel like there's an open question about what urban development boundaries are and how they relate to sea level rises. And here to answer that question is Laura Reynolds from the Tropical Audubon Society, and Celeste Palmer, also from the Tropical Audubon Society. Laura, are you on? Yeah, I'm here. Celeste, are you on? Yes, I'm right here. Great. So for those of us that know the seawater rises in Miami and often kind of have dreams of swimming in a flood one day when things really hit the fan, um, what's this whole thing about urban development boundaries, and how does that relate to sea, the, the sea level rising? Well, I thank you for doing the show. I think this is a really important issue. Um, and I, I just wanted to kind of connect a few things for folks. A lot of people think, hey, if I live on the beach, uh, that's that's the place that's going to flood first when seas rise. And, and honestly, that's not necessarily the case. The lowest-lying areas in Miami are out west. And for at least a decade, if not more, uh, probably more, more like uh, 15 years or so, we have been actively working to try to keep the city from sprawling westward and focusing our development in places that are uh, higher and closer to public transportation so that we don't have to get in our cars every time. You know, every time we want to go somewhere, we could have have a different option other than other than increasing our carbon footprint. Um, but if you sprawl out west, you are lower and lower and lower and closer to sea level. And so the inundation from sea level rise will actually come from, you know, the Sweetwater area, if you will. If you know Miami, um, you know, the areas closest to the Everglades are the lowest lying. Mm. And so when we hold the urban development boundary, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is we, we have people at risk out on the edge. Uh, you know, the other thing is we need to restore the Everglades, and it's a lot easier to do that with less pressure from development on the edge of our city. So, um, and the reason to restore the Everglades is pretty simple. We have to recharge our aquifer in order to have enough water to drink and keep the salt water out of our water supply. So the two are connected. How we develop on the land is very connected to, uh, you know, what we're doing with the water as well. Because we're so close to sea level, we have to think of, well, we can't just build a wall and keep the, keep the salt water out. We actually have to uh, push back on water with water, if you will. So by restoring the Everglades and keeping our development out of the low-lying areas, uh, we can extend the time that we have in Miami. And I say that because, you know, the IPCC just came out with a report at the end of last month, and they basically said four to six feet of inundation by 2100. 
and that means that a lot of places will be underwater. And we have to seriously look at those places and say, you know what, we're not going to develop there. Right. Uh, we're going to use those places to recharge our aquifer. We're going to grow food, uh, and we're going to concentrate our development in places that are way above sea level, as high as we can get. Um, and I think that's an important step for Miami to take. It seems like uh, you know elected officials are reluctant to accept the fact that seas are rising, and we actually have to make the tough decisions of no, we're not going to develop here in these areas because people will be at risk. And this real quick, just because I, I didn't do the, the voice recognition thing that I usually do as a radio show host and I failed in my duties. Was that Celeste or was that Laura? Embarrassing. Oh, this is Laura. This is Laura Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. You can kind of take my, my radio show host um, star of honor away. But, okay. So, <laughs> so Celeste, um, now, is, there's a problem with some of this, right? Because uh, the areas west are sort of considered the suburbs that folks wanted to move out to for so long, right? So... Does that kind of create like a little bit of a tension in terms of the way that people wanted to build Miami out and the real realities that we were forced to deal with? Well, that's an interesting question. This is Celeste. And uh, you actually see two uh, trends. Uh, actually, the younger people, people from my generation, you see them that they want to live more in areas that are walkable, that are uh, thriving with nightlife and, you know, where you can just jump on the metro rail and go anywhere. Areas like Brickell are exploding, um, areas like South Miami. So you actually see that younger people are not so interested in the whole suburban life and that that's more of an older mentality. So it's it's an interesting change and it's actually kind of a, a good thing that's going on in Miami right now. There are a lot of groups working around trying to make Miami more vibrant and trying to make it more livable and more of a community, if you will. And the suburban life doesn't really allow you to do that because you're so far away from everything that you're escaping the craze of the city just so that you can be at peace only to realize that then you just have to hop on your car to go absolutely everywhere because you only have your house where you live and you don't have your, your school close by or you don't have your job close by. And, you know, that's not that doesn't add up to good quality of life that you were hoping to have. That only takes it to you being stressed and being stuck, stuck in this horrible traffic because of this sprawl pattern that we've created. Of course, but, but the reality is Miami is an expensive city to live in. And for many families and people who have kids or just need a little bit more space or want a little bit more space, the, the fact is some of the most affordable real estate in Miami is on the edge, you know, is, is further south or further west, closer to the Everglades. There's homes, brand new homes and developments that are very affordable or, or at least comparatively much more affordable than some of the more um, uh, urban areas that um, that you were mentioning, you know, like Brickell and, um, you know, downtown and Midtown and, and the beach. And so for families who, who do want a little bit more space, but there is still a lot of pressure um, and demand for more affordable housing. And so, you know, that's a that's a really good point that you bring up. This is Laura. Uh, I think that part of the problem that we have is we make it a lot cheaper for developers to mm-hmm. actually purchase a piece of farmland and develop a large development out on the edge. It's cheaper for them, and they can make. There's more of a profit margin than if you decided to buy up 
property within the urban development boundary and put together something and re, you know, retrofit it or uh, redevelop it, it's actually more expensive and there's less of a profit margin. So, I mean, the answer to that is within our development code, we have to make it more affordable for developers to work on those kinds of projects than what we currently have, which is it's still cheaper to buy a piece of farmland and and build a development on it. Uh, so you're pointing out exactly the problem that we have with making it more attractive uh, to reinvest in the, the the middle of our city. So I think this is kind of interesting because in some ways we're talking about how do we make the city of Miami itself more livable in ways in which more folks are going to want to stay close to the city center and, and, and farther away from places like the Everglades, right? Um, and 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 on the other side is how do we protect the Everglades itself as what you would call an aquifer, something that protects the city from flooding, right, um, in, in some ways. So what are some basic steps that people that are listening that, like, probably this is the first time they've heard of an ur- urban development boundary. What are some basic steps people can take right now if they want to get involved in trying to protect both things at one time? You know, that's that's a good question. Um, there are some upcoming votes that are happening. I think the first thing is be civically engaged. You know, read the paper, find out what's going on, and make sure that the people we're electing into office actually are thinking about climate change and sea level rise and environmental issues that affect us, including our water supply. Uh, because if we're not thinking about those things, we could end up paying ten times more for water, uh, for example, if we had to use reverse osmosis. Um, or even access to local food. If we continue to sprawl west, the 57,000 acres that we have to grow food on will disappear and will become paved over and will become homes, which doesn't necessarily serve us uh, in the way that we might need. Um, and so the, the elected officials that are thinking about these things really should remain in office. And people should run that understand these issues. And so I think we have to hold our elected officials accountable. That's the first thing. The second thing is realizing that people are still... Um, putting forward applications to move the urban development boundary, which is a zoning change. Um, and there are some upcoming dates um, where that's happening. Uh, I know October 21st is the next time the county will look at uh, an application. The, the planning advisory board meets on that day at 2 o'clock in the county commission chambers. And we're actually looking for people to come out and voice their opinion on this issue and let the county commission know that, um, you know, this is a bad thing for Miami. We want to invest our tax dollars within the core of the city and have more access to public transportation. And in order to do that, we have to increase density uh, and have enough of our tax dollars uh, concentrated in the core of the city. We can't continue to sprawl west and put people in harm's way from sea level rise. And And I wanted to add something to that and link it back to what we're talking about uh, people wanted more room, and so it's more affordable to go out west. Um, I actually went to the county commission just recently when we were talking about our comprehensive development master plan, and I always put myself in the shoes of somebody that's really struggling to make it in this country because I, I'm not from here. I got here like 11 years ago, and so for me, I'm still looking for that American dream of owning my own house. And so what worse? than you being able to buy your house, you buy it out west, and then you end up having to pay so much money because a hurricane came by and you got flooded. 
I mean, people don't realize that, but when you buy a house out west, you are facing that risk constantly. So you're kind of betting against your own future, and people don't really know that. But the commissioners know that they're not supposed to be facilitating building out west because that's exactly what would happen. And so it's it's kind of sad that, you know, our people, the people that are supposed to be looking out for our best interests are sort of like putting like a blind eye or sticking their heads in the sand and being like, well, you know, but it's, it is much cheaper. It's cheaper housing, yes, but in the long run, how cheap will that be if I have to rebuild my entire house or if I have to abandon it because the hurricane just flooded it completely? And uh, when you think about it, people don't really know this either, that wetlands are actually extremely important in, in protecting us from floods. One acre of wetland can hold up to 1.5 million waters, uh, gallons of flood water. So those are things that the regular citizen could just sort of keep in their, in their memory. And when you go visit your commissioner, that's the only thing that you need to say. Just say what you think about your own future. Because the commissioners really like to hear about their own constituents. And so that would be the first advice that I would give people. Just make sure that you know who's representing you and make sure that you reach out to that person and tell them what you think about this issue because that's all they really care about just you know, for their right. own constituents that makes a big difference right and and I, I tell people this over and over again because so few people get involved in the stuff related to the county commission here there's usually like two people at these meetings. So if you could bring 100 people to a meeting, you could actually have a huge amount of difference um, on issues like this. Now, real quick, we have like literally 30 seconds left or something like that. Um, is there a website that we can visit if we need more information? Absolutely. Um, we actually have uh, a service where you can sign up for an e-newsletter, and that's on our homepage at www.tropicalaudubon.org. Great, great. Thank you so much for talking to Laura Reynolds and Celeste De Palma, both from the Tropical Audubon Society. Thank you both so much for your thoughts, and let's keep talking about it. Thank you. Thank you.